Morning, everyone. So this book of Mark, Mark's gospel, is a gospel that is full of excitement and movement. And if you want to look at the life of Jesus and you see how he deals with people and how he speaks and how he acts in a dynamic way, then there's no better gospel to read. And we've called this series, as we look through the book of Mark, On the Move with Jesus. This is Mark's gospel and he's moving on. It starts, as we had heard from Glenn last week, with John the Baptist coming on the scene and then straight into it. We don't get any of the birth story of Jesus, any of that, straight into Jesus' baptism and his temptations and on. It's like a, a rough and tumble ride of Jesus' life. It's almost swashbuckling, if I dare use that phrase. It's action-packed. You don't get through one passage before you're on to the next passage and you see Jesus on the move. And I wondered this morning, as we start kind of the early part of this year, are we moving on with Jesus? If you look back over the last year, what has your spiritual journey been? Or have you been stagnant? Jesus wants us to move on. He's always moving on. And uh, we'll see this morning, he's got new things for us. Or have we kind of settled in our Christian life and we think, well, that's it. We'll kind of go through the motions. We'll do this and we'll do our best. But, you know, that's it really. We've plateaued at a certain level in our spiritual journey. And I think Mark would say to us, Jesus is always on the move. And he wants to take us on that journey. So Mark portrays Jesus as God's perfect servant. As a man, we get to see all Jesus' humanity. We see his emotions. He gets angry, gets annoyed. He weeps. We see all that coming out. But we see him also as the divine son of God. The one who has extraordinary powers. It's demonstrated in what he says. People were blown away with his preaching. They stood back and they said, we've never heard it like this before. Because it was God's word. The Holy Spirit was in Jesus in the maximum way. God the Father was speaking through him. And so it's action-packed and full of God acting, God speaking to humanity. We see Jesus doing the Father's will. We see him bringing his love and compassion to our fallen world. And so let's read Mark chapter 2. I'm going to ask Jim and Sue who are going to read it together. There are four sections to this passage, four distinct sections. So they're going to read them turn about. Thank you. Mark chapter 2, starting at the beginning. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, 
Get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to him, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered them, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. On Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God, and ate the consecrated bread, which is only lawful for the priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. So then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Thank you, guys. We believe it's important to just read the scripture because it's God's word. Whatever I say, it's important to hear what God says through his word. So I've called the theme for chapter 2, Expect the Unexpected. Because in this chapter we see Jesus doing things which nobody expected him to do. He was unpredictable and he surprised those who he encountered, even shocked them. He challenged the status quo. He was challenging the traditions of the Jewish leaders and even of the law that was given by Moses. And Jesus certainly rocked the boat. There was no box that you could put Jesus in. And I wonder, you know, we're an evangelical, charismatic church and we say we're free and we're not tied down by traditions, but we have our own traditions and our own way of doing things. Perhaps this year, God is going to do something new that's going to shock us and challenge our traditions. I'm not talking about challenging the the basis of the word of God. I'm not talking about that. But doing something unexpected that we hadn't expected. 
I wonder whether our reaction would be like some of the people in this passage where they stood back and thought, no, no, we're not going to have this. Or whether we've got the right spirit to embrace what God wants to do for us and be open enough to, to recognise his spirit at work. So there are four separate incidents in this chapter that Jim and Sue have so well read to us this morning. And in each, Jesus does or says something that wasn't expected and that couldn't have been predicted, shocking those who were watching and listening. Have we the faith at the beginning of this year? Just look at your own life. Take a long, hard look as you look into 2020 for your own personal life, your family, your business, your work, your ministry in the church, your friends, your retirement, your street, your community. Is it possible that God could do something new and unexpected that would demonstrate his power and his love and that would change things? Are we up for believing that that is possible? You know Ephesians 3 verse 20, it's a very well-known scripture. I'm going to read it to you in the message. God can do anything you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does not do it by pushing us around, but by working within us, his spirit deeply and gently within us. Wonderful, isn't it? And I think at the beginning of this year, God would be saying through this chapter, let's expect the unexpected. Let's be on the lookout for what God wants to do. Let's be open. And how do we do that? Well, I think what the chapter would teach us is that we need to place ourselves in the sphere of the influence of Jesus. If we put ourselves in the sphere of his influence and his spirit and come by faith, we can expect God to do something new and something different in our lives. So what were the four points from this chapter, the four unexpected things that Jesus did? The first one, and I'm calling this forgiveness trumps healing. If you play cards and you have a trump card, it's a card that has the most power, doesn't it? It's not that the other cards are no value, but there's a card that is slightly more important on that particular occasion. And here, Jesus is saying to his followers and to the men and women gathered in his hearing that forgiveness is more important than healing. The unseen is more important than the seen. The spiritual is more important than the material. The eternal is more important than the here and now. So what happened in this passage was that the team and we know there were a few of them, and four of them carried this paralysed man, clearly they'd come for healing. Jesus' notoriety had spread. And they'd heard that this healer, this rabbi, this new teacher was in town, and he had amazing power, so people were crowding round. And they even had faith for this healing. But Jesus does the unexpected. He forgives the man's sins. Forgiveness for God and reconciliation, Jesus is saying, is man's greatest need. And so takes priority over healing. Healing of our hearts, healing of our lives, healing of our souls, Jesus is making the point, is far more important than the healing of our bodies. Jesus didn't just come to provide temporary healing, which is what healing your body is. It's five years, it's ten years, it's thirty years. I'm afraid, sorry to give you the news, we all have to die. It's temporary healing. Jesus came to bring eternal healing, everlasting healing, everlasting life. And so he's making the point here, yeah, I can heal, that's quite easy. There's only one that can forgive, and that's God. 
And that's your most important need. And you know, forgiveness is the key. The forgiveness is that release of debt, that cancelling of debt, that freedom, that letting go in our lives that God brings when he brings his forgiveness. A slate clean, a conscience clear because of the blood of Christ and because of Calvary. And only Jesus, only God can bring that healing. This morning, if you've never had that forgiveness from Christ, if you've never had that new birth which comes through forgiveness, then today it is the greatest gift that God can bring. Greater than any healing, greater than any material success, greater than any physical and human achievement, to know that before a righteous and a holy God, you have got forgiveness and that you have a relationship with him. That when you die, you'll go to heaven. But he, he has come now to give you life in all its fullness. That doesn't mean winning the lottery or driving a fancy car or having a flash holiday. It means knowing the deep spiritual relationship with God of heaven, your creator, that no other person or process can bring. And it starts at the foot of the cross of Calvary where Jesus gave his life to bring forgiveness. And this morning, that's what Jesus is saying to these people through this passage. Yes, Jesus healed them, and he had compassion on them. And as charismatic Christians, we believe here in the gifts of the Spirit for today. We believe that healing is available today. God didn't cut that off at the end of the first century, at the, at the end of the early church. But the fact of the matter is that Jesus doesn't heal everybody like we want today. I'm stating the obvious, folks. But what he will do is he will forgive everyone who comes to him. No one will be turned away. Jesus' reputation here had spread, and we read at the end of chapter 1 that as a result of the healing of the man who had leprosy, people came from everywhere to see this Jesus. And I repeat clearly, the aspiration of the friends who carried him was that he would be healed. And Jesus saw their faith as they persisted despite the large crowd. Faith led them to bring Jesus by another route. I just make the point that sometimes if we want to bring our friends and our neighbours, our relations to, to Jesus, sometimes we have to persist. These folks didn't give up because it was a large crowd. They persisted and they thought, well, we can't get in round this way, we can't get in round that way. And they used their initiative. Don't give up despite the obstacles is what Jesus would say to us today. So he said he forgave the man based on the faith of the friends and the man himself. It doesn't specifically say the man had faith, but it implied that he was party to this venture when the four carried him in there. And it's by their faith, and I think that was the faith of the man who allowed him to be carried and the friends who brought him there. When Jesus saw their faith, the combined faith of the team, he forgave the man of his sin. There's power, you know, in working together. There's power in being together and having faith together for things. I wonder as a church, would we stand together for 2020, for the things that God, as we currently don't know what they are, is going to do? That sounds a strange thing to have faith for, to have faith for the unknown. But it's faith to say, look, Lord, whatever you have for us as a church, however different that might be, however that might upset our traditions and our preconceived ideas, we stand in faith today and say, come, Lord Jesus, do it. Would that be something that we would be prepared to say? Or do we really not want the apple cart to change too much? We kind of like it. We like to sit in the same seat. I've no idea what that is, but of course. But... <laughs> I'm not talking about that. You know what I'm talking about here. The way we do things. 
And the expectation that, well, you know, hundreds of people, thousands of people in North Island could never become Christians. That's a level of expectation that's above my... Why? Why is it not possible that we couldn't be in a year's time be saying, this church is too small? The Anglican church is too small, because not just our church, the Methodist church is too small, because God is at work in our town doing things. Why can we not have faith for that? Sometimes God restricts his activities because of our lack of faith. I do believe that's true. And so let's get on, let's, let's inflate, not man-made inflation, but Holy Spirit inflation, our faith to see what God will do in our town, in our lives, in our community. There was power when these men came together in faith. You know, one on their own, it's tough. Couple, well, it's difficult. They had, they had at least four. There was a group of them there. Four carried the man, but they says there was a group of them there. So this, the action of Jesus was completely unexpected by the paralytic man. I wonder what he thought. I'm lying here on the bed. Jesus, I forgive my sins. Hello? Isn't it pretty obvious what I want here? The crowd, and particularly the religious leaders thought this is trouble and it says there that Jesus knew in his spirit what they were thinking in their hearts I thought that was quite an interesting phrase because when you think about what somebody's thinking about you thinking what's in their mind but actually it was what was in their hearts it was the motive they weren't just simply querying this they were maliciously trying to find a reason not to accept it because it offended their minds and offended their hearts and it was going to offend their sense of justice. But Jesus comes along with his compassion and his love. And you know, even when we get it wrong, Jesus is there with his compassion and his love. He came to be the saviour. He came primarily to bring forgiveness. The angels said to the shepherds, in the city of David, there's going to be a saviour who is Christ the Lord. They didn't say, behold, I bring you great tidings of great joy. For in the city of David today is a high priest who is Christ the Lord. Or a teacher who is Christ the Lord. It was a saviour. Because that was our greatest need. You've maybe heard this before. If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent an entertainer. But our greatest need was for forgiveness. So God sent a saviour. And that's the point that Jesus was making here. See, it was more difficult to forgive than it was to heal. Other healers had been around. Other people could do healing whether it was legitimate or by evil means. And many of the early apostles had the gift of healing. You know, we see in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John going up to the temple, the beautiful gate, and healing a man. The healing was not restricted, if you like, to God, although they were calling upon the name of Jesus. But only one could forgive. They were right. The religious leaders were right about that. But one was seen, one was unseen. Did, did Jesus really do that? We've got no evidence. We've only got his word. And so in order to show that that's what actually happened. Jesus said, which is easier for me to heal or to forgive? Well, I can heal, no problem. Be healed. And the man got up in his bed and he walked. Our calling in Jesus and our discipleship trumps all our material blessings and forgiveness trumps healing. It's spiritual blessings that God wants to lavish on us. 
his gifts, his ministry, his life in all its fullness, not for us to be focused on earthly things. All the good things that we have on this earth are as a result of God's goodness, and he does bless us with material blessings. The Bible teaches us that, but that's not our primary blessing. It is forgiveness. And that's what Jesus teaches. This was unexpected. It was unpredicted. Nobody expected it to happen because this is Jesus moving, bringing the unexpected into play. The second section, the sick trump the healthy. So what's going on here? Jesus is wanting to say that it's more important that I bring those who need my salvation to myself than those who don't think they have any need of me. The religious leaders thought that the Messiah, if indeed that's who he was, should not be mixing with the riffraff, with the folks who weren't part of the cultured Jewish society, those who were sinners. And so we have this calling of Levi in this second part of this chapter. Levi, who was, or his name was Matthew. And Jesus calls him, and then he goes and he has a meal with him. And if not to make matters worse, as well as Matthew or Levi, there was a whole gang of them there, all tax collectors. It's not just one, but we've got a bunch of them. This is a bad habit, Jesus. As you may know, the tax collectors were looked down upon. They tended to be wealthy, but not by legitimate means. They were Roman collaborators. Like Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. They made their own way. They kept away from people because they were working on behalf of the Roman authorities and they collected taxes and a little bit on the side. And so they became quite wealthy by illegitimate means. They were unscrupulous and they were generally hated. Jesus came to those who needed healing, not the sick. And so Jesus is saying the sick trump the healthy in my plan here. And that offended the religious leaders. Of course, Jesus was being quite ironic here because those religious leaders needed the saviour as much as everybody else did. The point was they thought they didn't. And that can be a real failing for all of us, that we think it's somebody else. We don't think it's ourselves. Until we come to a realisation of our need of Jesus and our need of Christ, we can never know his healing. Until you recognise your sickness, you can't receive healing. And the enemy would go around, the Bible tells us, blinding the minds of those who could see, but blinding them to the gospel, primarily by saying, what do you have need of? You don't have need of anything. You can manage yourself, you can be self-sufficient. And God intended each of us to live our daily lives, our weekly lives, our monthly lives, in community with him and with one another. That's the way we were meant to live. And if we go down an independent, I know better, I don't need God road then we will never know his healing and his forgiveness and his blessing upon our lives. And we as a church are going out into the community and we are working with those who need Jesus in their lives day by day. Now, as you know, the living rooms is one of those methods that has come to the fore in the last year or so. Just this last week, we had a visitor, our local MP, Rishi Sunak, Asked if he could come this week. We know that politicians do like to have photographic opportunities. But he wanted to come. I didn't invite him on this occasion. His office said, could he come? Because he'd heard about what was going on. It's a bit like Bible times. He'd heard about what was going on, so they came. That's what happened here. 
And, you know, the town is recognizing that something is going on here, that the churches are working together, that Christians have something to say and something to do to help people without any ulterior motive. And that's why people are coming. That's why we get calls from the mental health department and the council and all these other people wanting to partner with us. Yes, I know they want our help for nothing. I understand all that. I'm not naive. But at the end of the day, this opportunity is giving us a gateway into the community. That's the word that God gave me just before Christmas. A gateway, an open door into the community where we can demonstrate. We're not preaching at people. We're demonstrating the love of God and the love of Christ in a practical way because we know that his spirit will be at work through us in the building, in the premises. I'm expecting people to come to know him as a result of the living rooms. I don't just want people to be better. I do want people to be better. That's what we're there for. But I want people to have an eternal benefit from being involved in the living rooms, not just a temporary one. And we're just so excited about God doing more than we can ask or think about that. And Pam's just going to say a couple of words about that. Come on, Pam. Pam's one of our leaders. And she got a bit excited this week, so I thought, well, we'll just hear. I'm even more excited now, actually, because as ever with God, I was planning to say one thing and another thing's happened this morning. Can I just say thank you to our worship team because this morning God spoke loud and clear to me because Steve asked me to speak because we did a review on Friday. It was all happening on Friday because we didn't know Russia was coming till last minute. We were doing a review of the living rooms etc but with God you can expect things to land on you can't you and you just have to go with it. I've brought some cards up here. I'm going to try and unpick this. I brought some cards up here because our life group do birthdays all at once. And this morning I brought the cards and I was writing one. It's a tiny little card. And it says, God created protection. Now inside there's a little verse. It's Psalm 5. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may rejoice in you. Which is lovely for us, isn't it? But let's think about the people who are in the community who don't know that yet. So, at the meeting on Friday, Steve stayed for some of the meeting. Now, I've said this to Joe before. Opening the living rooms has been like holding on to a rocket. And we should have known, and I, being a creative person, I have really, really longed to be able to stand up here and say, I've had a picture, or I've seen something, and it's never, ever happened. Now, I've said, I'm holding on to a rocket, but the vision that I've seen isn't of us, the hosts and the visitors, flailing around holding on to a rocket, or even being inside. It's as like wrapped around the rocket on the outside. Now this morning, oh no God, you never let go. God is the rocket and he's holding on to us. And I just, I just feel so glad by that and that you will carry me safe to shore. So we should have known that God is the rocket that walked through the door because on day one, we opened the door and one of the first people who walked in said, can we use your space? Now, we didn't expect that. You know, we were all about what we were going to do. We weren't thinking about what somebody else wanted to do in the space. So let's hold on to that rocket. That's my first for 2020. Last year, we moved. We weren't expecting to move, but we did by the grace of God, and it's been the right thing. The living rooms is the right thing, and the hosts and the visitors are all on God's rocket together, being held tight. Thank you. Amen. Fantastic.
Thank you so much. So we've seen this morning that forgiveness trumps healing. That was unexpected. Didn't expect Jesus to do that. That was unpredictable. We've seen the sick trump the healthy. Jesus was meant to come and be part of the religious fraternity. No, he mixed with the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the drunkards. That's where he went. Those who needed him, not those who thought they were above it. And so thirdly this morning, this third passage from Mark chapter 2 is the new trumps the old. So here we have a situation where the criticism comes to Jesus' disciples about them not fasting and John the Baptist's disciples are fasting and the Pharisees are fasting. Now fasting was something that they did really in a time of sorrow or repentance. Jesus says this is not a time for sorrow or repentance, this is a time for joy. The bridegroom's here, come on wake up, something new is happening. The kingdom of God is being birthed. I'm heralding the kingdom of God. Never mind about all the fasting. Join the party. That's what Jesus is saying. How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? Jesus wanted to do something new. And he gave an example of that. He said, you can't stick a new patch on an old garment. Because eventually it's going to tear and the new bit's going to be the stronger and the whole thing is going to be worse. We don't do much of stitching patches on garments these days, do we? We just chuck it away and buy a new one. Not good for the environment, they say. And then he says, you don't put new wine in an old wine skin because an old wine skin gets cracked and dried. You pour some new wine in that's still fermenting and it's full of fizz and bump and umph and everything else. I'm led to believe. And what happens is that the wine skin breaks. So if you're going to have the new wine that I'm going to bring, if you're going to have the Holy Spirit that I'm going to bring, that's going to knock you sideways and enable you to do things you couldn't do before and knock down barriers and bring the kingdom of God and bring light into darkness, you better get changing. and Get yourself a new wineskin. That's not to say we chuck out the past. It's not to say that the old was bad. He's not saying that. Because at one time, the old was new. Think about it logically. What's new now will be old in a few years' time. And that's the danger of the mindset we get into. Because we were part of something new a few years ago, we think that's still new. And that's one of the ways in which we resist from moving on, because we think we're in the new. We were in the new. It was new then, but it's now the old. And age is a part of that. It makes us more resistant to change, doesn't it? But Jesus is saying, it's time for something new. The new trumps the old. Doesn't mean the old were no good. We're not chucking out the old. We're just saying it's time to move on. God wants to give us the new wine. And if we're going to have something new, we have to have a renewed mind to experience this and to receive it. Romans chapter 12 tells us about that. It says... If we want to receive God's perfect and pure will, we have to have our mind renewed. Be transformed, Paul says, by the renewing of your mind, then you will know what God's pure, perfect will is for your life. Without transformation, we are old wineskins. This morning I'm asking you, are you, a, are you an old wineskin? Or do you want to say, Lord, give me a new wineskin today that I can receive 
what you have from me by your Holy Spirit. It's going to be effervescent. It's refreshing. It's still fermenting. It's not finished. It's not reached its conclusion. It's still bubbling away. I want the new. Irrespective of your age, you can be 70, Terry. You can be 80. You can be 90, Harry. We celebrated Harry's 90th just a couple of weeks ago. Age is really not a problem. It can be any age. God doesn't want to patch up what we've got. He wants to bring new. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. God wants to do new things in us all the time. This is not just for this year. He wants to do new things in, as, for a, as a church and the living rooms is one of those things. But it's, it's just one of many things I believe God wants to do that's going to be new, that's going to challenge our way of doing the living room is a challenge to the way we do evangelism. It's completely different to having a tent and preaching the gospel or standing on the street corners. And I've done that in the past many years ago with a megaphone telling people they're going to hell and they need Christ. The truth of the gospel doesn't change, but we don't do that today. And God is giving us a new way that's different. And now we're saying, oh, that's, ooh, that's new. We don't want that. Come on. God's got something new and he's going to do his work through that. Time for something new. The new trumps the old. Forgiveness trumps healing, the sick trump the healthy, the new trumps the old, and in the last section, grace trumps the law. Grace will always outbalance and outperform the law. The law was a shadow of what's to come, and John says in his gospel, the law came through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And here we have in this passage, again, the religious leaders trying to pick holes in the disciples and Jesus saying, oh, they're committing the travesty against the, uh, the Sabbath. Yeah, it was true. The law had said that you should have a day off. It was based on the, the six days shalt thou labor and the seventh days you have off. And it was based on the, you know, the creation story God created in the six days and on the seventh day he rested. It's a great principle. But they weren't really going against the law here because they were, they were nitpicking. They were splitting hairs as they always did. Because they were gathering the corn and they were rubbing it, they were reaping and they were threshing. Oh, right, that's you know, drawing a conclusion that was never intended. Jesus says, just a minute. Look at what David did in his day. He took something which, according to the law, he shouldn't have done. But there's a higher power than the law at work. Jesus said, I've not come to... Do away with the law. I've come to fulfill it. It's not that the law was wrong, but there's a greater power at work here. There's Jesus. There's God who created the law. His grace, his forgiveness, his love and his mercy is seen through the law if we have the eyes to see it. That's what Jesus is saying here. It's the principle that God is interested in, not the letter. And here, God's grace was seen. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3, the letter kills, but the spirit kills gives life. Paul talks in Galatians 5 about us being released from the law. Listen to what Paul says. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Today we're under God's grace. The law is not done away with, it was fulfilled. Jesus fulfilled all the requirements of the law when he came, when he died upon a cross. It's not that our sin has been forgotten about or kicked into the long grass or shoved under the carpet by God. 
It's the punishment for our sin and the righteousness of God was meted upon his only son Jesus on the cross that we can be forgiven. So Jesus fulfilled all the aspects of the law to the full. God's righteousness and holiness and justice was completely vindicated. And because of that today, the grace of God is upon us and we are free because it's by grace that we've been saved through faith and that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. I wonder this year, can we expect the unexpected? Are we prepared to be challenged by an unpredictable Jesus in our personal lives, in our ministry, our service, in our families, and in our church, and our community? I believe God is going to do something this year that's going to surprise us. We need to be ready. We need to be open. We need to stand in faith. We need to have new wineskins ready for all that God is going to do. Let's, in 2020, expect the unexpected as we march and run through the Gospel of Mark and see Jesus moving through, bringing his grace and mercy. Perhaps we could just reflect for a moment on what this means for ourselves. What is God saying to you this morning? What area of your life is he challenging you with regard to expecting the unexpected? Is it your forgiveness? Is it your holding on to unforgiveness for somebody else? Is that you've never once given your life to Christ and known the release and the freedom that that brings? Is it you're afraid of the new? Perhaps some of you this morning are afraid of the future. Place your hands into the hands of the master who healed and stilled the storm, who controls the universe, who spoke and the worlds came into being, who was the rock of ages, the author and the finisher of our faith. He was the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the one who was and is and is to come and evermore shall be the saviour of the world. Place your hands in his hand this morning. Don't be afraid of the new, of the unexpected. There will be challenges in 2020 for us all. But remember today that grace trumps law. The grace of God is upon us today. We live in the dispensation of his wonderful grace. Receive it this morning. Father, we thank you today for the life of Jesus that we've read about today. We thank you for the Son of God who loved me and he gave himself for me. We thank you that he came for sinners like me, like us in this room. Help us not to be so high and mighty, so out of touch with the truth and reality that we say we have no need of you. Thank you, Lord, this morning that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. We bless you this morning, Father. We thank you for your lovely Holy Spirit, and we pray that you'll fill us afresh this morning You'll make us prepared for the unexpected in these coming days ahead. We would stand in faith, Lord. And where our faith is low, we pray that you'll magnify that. We know that we only need faith the size of a mustard seed, and you will do the rest. Lord, speak to us today, we pray. We thank you for your word in Jesus' name. Amen. God's been saying something to you this morning, and you want prayer. Please come to the prayer area to my left here. People will pray it through with you. God is at work. God is moving. Let's move with him. Amen. Thanks.